the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. If I describe someone to you as an individual who has had a life of failures, some that just were handed to her, others that kind of came on their own, that led to failed relationships, failed marriages, failed businesses, failed spiritual life, even failed reputation, would that sound like that's somebody that you necessarily want to hear from? Well, from the standpoint of learning how to not make mistakes... Probably, absolutely. And also from the notion that we serve a God who is not only a forgiving God, but a faithful God. A new book out by my guest tonight, someone whose name I think you will readily recognize. The book is called Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God. Its author, Athena Dean Holtz. And Athena, great to have you on the show. Thanks, Craig. Great to be with you today. Wow. You know, uh, there are listeners that may be familiar with your work, uh, certainly many years as the one of the co-founders and owner of Winepress Publishing. Um, you have been involved in a lot in the, the Christian world. And some people might say at this juncture in life, Athena G., you have been through the ringer <laughs> and then some. And yeah. some might say, you know, Athena, with all that you have been through and the publicity that you've already received, received, not all of it necessarily, uh, all of that welcoming down through the years, uh, why seek more or, or why go public with your side of the story? Well, I think because God has worked so much redemption out of so much destruction that, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people out there who've gone through absolute devastation like I did, maybe not to the extreme that I did, but and have kind of been disappointed in God or felt like maybe God abandoned them or betrayed them. So, gosh, if my story of hope can encourage someone to not give up on God, to to actually see his, and, and actually cause them to look back and see the times God was faithful, even when it seemed like, you know, chaos. Uh, that's we need to know that our God is faithful. How would you describe this journey? It is certainly it's marked by many highlights, and what I would characterize is your quest to find and meet God along the way. You got involved with a couple of cults. Well, maybe three, I guess we could include in there if we uh, add to the list the number of years that you were involved in the quote unquote Church of Scientology. I'm putting my air quotes up here; the listeners can't mm-hmm. see. Um, so a lot 
lot of your a lot of your life on that spiritual journey, so to speak. Some of it encouraged early on by your own grandmother, whom I understand was a, a unity pastor. Exactly. So I had no foundation at all of a Christian nature. It was all very new age. And, you know, I could feel God wooing me as a young girl, but with no one to point me in the right direction, uh, the counterfeits were uh, everywhere. And I was uh, easily drawn into them looking for purpose. I'm, I'm the kind of person... I, I want to see justice. I want, uh, I want to be involved in a cause that's going to make a difference. And so, of course, the enemy is going to use that to try and lead me off to, to something that is, is a false cause. Is there a way in which there's almost a degree to which um, a person of your talents, your character is almost, uh, the, the culture almost drawn to? And I ask that question, Athena, because you're, you're driven, you're articulate. You're hardworking. You have a career. You've been a successful business leader, a business person. And I wonder if that profile, so to speak, is something that, as we talk often about people being drawn to the cults, but are the cults drawn to that kind of profile as well? Well, you know, if you think about it, Scientology, they target celebrities and opinion leaders because they know if they can get them They'll get all the people that follow them who will not even question whether it's a good thing or not. They'll go, wow, that person is doing it. It must be good. So, absolutely, that's a great question. How did you first get drawn into, in this spiritual journey of yours, we mentioned about your exposure to the Unity Church as a young girl visiting your grandmother down in Santa Monica, I think it was. But, but eventually you got involved in Scientology, and, and I would suggest not at a very casual level in that you mentioned about celebrities. You worked for quite a while at the Celebrity Center in Los Angeles, and uh, you eventually married a man who was part of the Sea Org. Exactly. And again, it seemed like a cause. It was There was a lot of important people. That was, that was made a, a big deal to me, to be around people of influence. And that started at a young age. So uh, I just played right into that. And boy, working at the Celebrity Center, what, I mean, I was working for Helen Reddy and other celebrities before I ever got sucked into Scientology. So it was kind of an interesting uh, shift that, you know, I, I, I was vulnerable because I, I didn't know any better. Was it for you always a quest or were there times of, of satisfaction? And I ask that question because to, to listeners who are maybe not familiar with some of the, the um, science fiction principles, and I use that term intentionally, the science fiction principles of Scientology, you're, you're kind of working your way through um, uh, past experiences to going to the point of becoming clear, and anybody can Google this and you'll find out what we're talking about, but it seems as if there's always the next level to get to. There's always one more thing that you're working on in an effort to try to to achieve that sense of, of satisfaction in Christianity. We might call it peace and joy. Was there ever a time within that experience for you, Athena, that you felt like, wow, I've really made it? Or was it constantly a, a effort to try and achieve the next thing in an effort to try and, and achieve a sense of satisfaction or fulfillment? Exactly. It was always, it was never enough. It was never, uh, you never quite got there. And I think they set it up that way so they could just milk people for more money. 
I mean, really, that's the truth of it. So, yes, there was never any uh, coming to a place of going, wow, this is what I this is what I was looking for. And I found it because it really didn't exist anyway. It was just L. Ron Hubbard's, you know, thing he made up in his head to do people into, you know, making him rich. You left Scientology, came back, left it again. In fact, I think it was about uh, three cycles, wasn't there, all told? Uh-huh. Yep. And, uh, and the final one was when we actually uh, found a book that was in the house we moved into that was written by Aleister Crowley. Bad dude. The guy who brought Satanism from Britain into the United States. I had no idea who he was. But I just, ha- I mean, this had to be God. I just opened this book and went, what is this? And there was a whole page of content that I recognized from one of Hubbard's books where he claimed that that was his content, which meant, oh, L. Ron Hubbard plagiarized this guy. And I didn't even realize how bad that really was. I just realized, wow, we've been duped. And at the point of that revelation, I mean, you, you've spent a number of years now within Scientology at some pretty high levels. During that time, did you, just as in the sidebar here, did you ever have an encounter with, did you ever have an opportunity to meet either Hubbard or Miss Cabbage? No. Uh, Hubbard was out in the desert, uh, so I never met him. And Miss Cabbage was kind of new. He, he wasn't, all, he wasn't uh, in leadership at that time. This was the uh, late 70s. And uh, he wasn't really around at that point. But he was toward the end, towards the time we were getting ready to realize, uh, you know, what we'd gotten sucked into. He was coming on the scene, and and it was obvious that there was some leadership, some toxic leadership going on. Late 1970s, that was a turbulent time in um, Scientology vis-a-vis the infiltration of the FBI and IRS. And I think uh, Hubbard's wife even went to jail for a time over all of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and there wasn't the, inter- I mean, they had people so intimidated into not speaking out against them. But now with the Internet, I mean, it, you know, it's a whole different story now. They can't, they, they can't continue to control people like they used to back then. Yeah, the irony is that there was a gentleman um, many, many years ago. Um, I want to say his last name was Armstrong. He, he had been hired by Scientology to be the official biographer of L. Ron Hubbard. And, of course, as he began his, his research into uh, the life of Hubbard, discovered just how many inaccuracies and, and holes there were, eventually left the church. And I recall, my goodness, this is more than 20, 25 years ago, um, their involvement in intimidating him to not do radio interviews because they didn't want all of this information going public. But I guess today that's that is the feather pillow torn open in the middle of the fan in the living room. <laughs> You're never going to yep. stuff all of those feathers back in again, uh, thanks to the internet. Exactly. And what's interesting is that all cults, they all do the same thing. They all try and bully those who are willing to speak out and speak the truth. They all do the same thing. They threaten legal. They create fake websites, news websites to smear the person's reputation. I mean, that's what the other cult did to me in the Christian world. 
So it's amazing to see the similarities and the parallels. Yeah, it's interesting if you go online and you Google for any of the Scientology videos, there's a couple of really crazy ones with, well, there's a lot of crazy ones, but but with Tom Cruise in specific. And now Scientology has taken to purchasing ads that run ahead of the YouTube content. It's, it's amazing. If you've just joined us, Athena Dean Holtz is with us today. She is coming full circle. That, by the way, is the title of her new book, Full Circle, Coming Home to the faithfulness of God. We'll talk more about her life's journey and what brought her full circle as our conversation continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Our guest tonight, Athena Dean Holtz, co-founder of Wine Press Publishing and now leading Redemption Press, very aptly named. She's got a new book out called Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God. Athena, we were mentioning before the break how that it was about three circles, uh, three cycles rather, that you were involved with the Church of Scientology and, and eventually were able to pull away from there. And I don't want to make this entire conversation conversation tonight about Scientology, but I'm just curious, given how challenging it can be for that to happen, and I think a lot of folks don't understand uh, uh, Scientology um, uh, thoughts about SPs or suppressive persons and uh, in, in many senses losing friends and even family when leaving Scientology. How difficult ultimately then was it for you to extract yourself from Scientology? Well, it was uh, difficult because we had not only a lot of family involved, but we also had a lot of people that worked for us who were Scientologists. So not only did they all quit, uh, our children got kicked out of the school they went to, which was a Scientology school, uh, which we went to the newspapers on. We weren't afraid to confront that um, like we would have been prior to that. but, you know, we had to just be willing to uh, walk away from all the friendships that we have had because, I mean, it was just, it got to the place where, okay, uh, we just can't, we can't endorse a lie anymore. Now that we know, that we know, that we know this is a lie, we're done. We discussed the fact that in your formative years as a child, uh, probably the, the the closest you had to an association with organized religion um, was your grandmother, who was a unity pastor down in Southern California. At what point did you in your life, Athena, begin to explore the claims of Christ? Well, I did not hear the gospel until I was 33 years old. So not, I had not heard it at all, never went to VBS or Awana or anything like that. And I actually was in a, um, I was in an insurance and securities company, very successful. I was making big money doing that. But God had put me in a place where I was surrounded by Christians. And at that point in my life, I thought Christians were wimps. And that, I mean, I was pretty much a God hater. I just, I don't need that. I'm successful. I'm making big money. Of course, all my relationships were a mess, but I (laughs) thought I was doing just fine. So it was amazing how God put me in that place to where, and then worked the situation so that Chuck and I were on the edge of divorce. I had, he, you know, there's too much to go into it right now, what led up to that, but it was finally, okay, we're done. And he got saved. And I saw such a change in him that I, just not even realizing I was saying it, said, well, maybe maybe we can put divorce on hold and try again. And God just began to do, I mean, my friends sent me a copy of um, 
mere Christianity. I don't remember a thing that I read, but all I remember was that I, I knew I needed a savior. As much as I think I had it all together, which was a, a total lie, uh, that was what broke my heart. And so when I when I got saved, it was a major transformation at that point at age 33. And away we went into full-time ministry way too soon, working for Point Man Ministries and working with Vietnam veterans and their family members. And that really set me up, I think, for the next deception that came along because I really didn't have a strong foundation. And the irony, and some listeners that are not familiar, Athena, with your story will get a bit of a chuckle out of this, um, in that you got involved with a church based there in Washington State. Uh <laughs> Whose, whose title was Sound Doctrine, but whose teaching apparently was anything but. H- how did you, I was going to say come across the path, but I would maybe more aptly put, um, how did you fall into the snare of Tim Williams? Well, what's interesting was he was very clever about putting people that were under his influence in places of credibility. And his wife was helping with the Right to Publish conference at Wheaton College that was started by Moody Bible College. And that's where I met her. I used to speak and be on faculty at that conference every year. And she was helping the conference director. And so there was automatically a level of credibility that she never should have had, but she did. And she began to tell me, oh, my husband's got this really edgy book. And, you know, I just don't think the traditional publishers are spiritual enough to really understand uh, where he's going. So I, you know, it was just a total schmooze, really, that she flattered me into thinking, well, you know, wow, we have some, we can perceive uh, truth where others can't. I mean, that was, it, it really, their whole thing, and I think cults do that anyway. They appeal to your pride. And there's enough of the, and there's enough of an element of truth in there to give it an air of legitimacy. Absolutely. And as you suggest, uh, the, the the Williams has surrounded themselves at the periphery with enough legitimate people, enough of a brush with legitimacy that would make even the casual observer say, "Well, this must be okay." You've just made just named inside of five seconds two major respected Christian universities in this country. Certainly, there can't be anything wrong with that. And of course, as we all know, people that are really close to God, they are the ones for whom God has revealed his most intimate secrets. I mean, after all, wasn't it John on the Isle of Patmos that received the revelation? Wasn't it um, um, Paul who, who, who gave us two-thirds of the New Testament? My goodness. So you must have, it must have appealed at a certain level then to, to, to the flesh. Absolutely, absolutely. And because I had no foundation, I didn't know the difference between Scripture in context and Scripture out of context. So here Tim Williams comes along, quotes Scripture every other sentence out of his mouth. He's quoting a Scripture to back up what he just said. Well, I didn't know that half the time they were out of context and didn't even apply. So to me, that intimidated me into thinking, wow, my first 13 years as a Christian was lame. It was like not even real Christianity, because this guy knows what real Christianity is, because of all these scriptures he can spout, and all, you know, it was just it, it was just insidious, really, uh, way of making people feel like 
we're not as spiritual as they are, and so they have the answer, and so we have to do whatever God tells us through them. And the notion that nobody else would publish ultimately what became his infamous book, Hating for Jesus, the fact that nobody else would publish it was seen as, well, this is a this is a badge of honor here because we're gonna we're gonna tell a truth that nobody else is bold enough, faithful enough, or trusting of God enough to tell. Once that book went public and the firestorm of controversy began swelling around not only Williams, the sound doctrine, quote unquote, church, better cult, the controversial book, and ultimately you as the publisher, at what point did you begin to think, um, this is coming off the rails here, maybe there's another story to this story that we're not aware of? I completely never came to that conclusion because they had already sown into my thoughts. You know, if anybody doesn't agree with this, they don't really love God. They're on the wide road headed for destruction. We are on the narrow road. We're obeying God. They don't really want God. They're an idolater. They need to repent. We need to stand against them and cut them off so that they will come to repentance. They had already poured all of that into me. So if anyone even looked at me cross-eyed about the title or the content, I would be indignant. It was crazy. And and it's interesting to note the similarities between how all of that was handled by Williams in in preparing, inoculating, we might even call it, against criticism in, in this situation and how very shockingly or frighteningly similar that is to the methodology used by the Church of Scientology, the whole, you know, suppressive person business and intimidating people, family members, you know, lawsuits, all of that. Same thing. Well, if you don't believe, you don't embrace, then then you're clearly a heretic or you're you're just not open enough to the truth. Exactly. And so when I finally blew the whistle and walked away 12 years after losing everything to them, uh, the, the lawsuit, the threats of lawsuits to anybody who would... You know, share my side of the story. They got sued. They got threatened to be sued. Uh, Every writer's conference I ever went to got a letter saying, if you have her come back, we're going to sue you. I mean, they're like, they think they're above the law, just like Scientology. If you've just tuned in, we're visiting tonight with Athena Dean Holtz. Her book is called Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God. Now, if you've been listening to this since we began our conversation a half hour ago, you might be thinking, what a spiritual train wreck. And though the irony is that this, uh, to one degree or another, is, uh, Scripture tells us, uh, but for the grace of God, right, that, that those having itching ears. So we need to guard our hearts our souls, our minds, and we need to be steeped in the Word of God so that we can be truth-tellers, fact-checkers, and understand that there is a reason why God says that there needs to be a separation of the wheat and chaff. We're going to come back to more of Athena's story and bring you full circle to where she's at today, how she eventually came out of the cult called Sound Doctrine. Isn't that a kick? And what the Lord's doing in her life right now in 2000. 17 as our conversation continues right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Some might call it a bit, uh, well, schizophrenia on the spiritual journey that Athena Dean Holtz has been on from a brush with unity as a child. Her grandmother had been a unity preacher and teacher down in Southern California to almost a dozen years involved with the Church of Scientology, then leaving the church, having an encounter with Jesus Christ, being involved in very stand-up ministry organizations. Uh, We mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, the involvement with Point Man Ministry. And then getting involved, sadly, with yet another false teacher that led to a great deal of heartache. And for you, Athena, when when did the when did the egg fall and break and spill the yolk all over the the table for you, or all over the floor rather? And were there times in this journey, particularly after the negative experience that you had with uh, Tim Williams, that you thought this God stuff has got to be a bunch of hooey and and consider just giving up on any thought of being involved in, in quote-unquote religion or spirituality? Absolutely. In fact, you know, the 12 years that I spent in Sound Doctrine, most of that time uh, alone because they'd talk me into divorcing my husband in Jesus' name and not talking to my kids for 12 years huh. because they were idolaters, so have nothing to do with them. Uh you know, every time I pointed out something that looked wrong, it always got turned back on me. Oh, you've just got a bitter root, and you need to get the log out of your eye. Uh, don't look at the speck in my eye. I mean, typical abuser behavior that always, you know, like the guy who beats his wife up and then turns it around. Well, if you'd have had dinner done on time, I wouldn't have gotten angry. That whole mentality was the entire... I mean, they use scriptures out of context like... Uh, well, you know, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, so learn from this. So I, I'm flogging myself for 12 years saying, okay, Lord, I, re- I want to please you. I want to do what's right. Okay, if this is who you've put in my life, then I want to submit to that. You know, so it was all zeal without knowledge. And, and a lot sounds like, and, and, from, and from what they were dishing out, both Tim Williams as well as what happened at the hands of Scientology, a lot of fear, intimidation, and manipulation being used to control you. Absolutely. Absolute bullying. And in the name of God. And so, yeah, by by the time I turned the company over to them, a $3.5 million, 20-year-old company turned it over to them for 10 bucks, thinking it was my gift to God. And the next year, spending, uh, you know, they cut my pay in half and they cut me down to minimum wage and they, they had me cleaning toilets, you know, thinking it was discipline from the Lord. I finally did say, you know what? If this is God, I don't want him. I really did come to that place. And it was it was pretty much at that time that the enemy, the Satan overplayed his hand, and uh, after they'd gotten everything from me, the company, my car, my house, everything, and my credit was ruined, uh, they said I owed the use tax on all the assets, almost $150,000 worth of assets that got transferred from me to them, buyer to seller. Well, that sales tax or use tax is supposed to be paid by the buyer, not by the seller. But they convinced me that my gift to God, that I would cover that $15,000 as if I had any place to get it, which I didn't. So, I mean, at that point, I said, look, I can't get this money for you. I don't want anything to happen to Wine Press. I don't want them to go after Wine Press. So is there someone who could sign, you know, co-sign for me so I can borrow this money and pay it? 
two days later, I got a letter certified from their lawyer that said, if this is not taken care of and you don't follow through with your agreement within the next so many days, we will take further action. I'm like, excuse me? Uh, Isn't there a scripture that says you're not supposed to sue a brother or sister? (laughs) And that's when the light started coming on and I realized, okay, I'm done. I'm just done. I called my son. I said, where are you? I'm coming. And today, and I really did think I was walking away from God because I looked at that and said, if that's God, I, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want him. I, no, I'm done. So my son takes me to a lawyer to talk about bankruptcy because we didn't, you know, I mean, it was just a train wreck. And this guy looked at the sale paperwork and just said, this is fraud. This is a sham. This, I mean, every page he turned, he was shaking his head, saying, I can't believe they did this to you. So all of a sudden, it was like, oh, that wasn't God. That was a gross misrepresentation of who God is. So that was a good thing. I have to wonder, in, in the roots of a lot of all of this, early on in the book, you talk about, as, as a young girl, teenager, you were involved in equestrian sports. There was much where you sought to find, uh, to achieve, rather, your your father's approval, which is normal for any kid. But I, I have to wonder if part of this, wanting to be pleasing or kind of going along with the party line, whether it was being uh, metered out by the sound doctrine cult or by the Scientologists, was at some level an effort to try to gain a a sense of approval, if not by your earthly father, by your heavenly father? Exactly. So I was looking at, I was looking for that approval in unhealthy ways and in the wrong place. And that's just what's so incredible about how I could get to such utter devastation and absolutely having lost everything, how God's love for me and approval and my significance and purpose in him was able to be redeemed and revived and healed and I mean it's just been over the last five years been totally blown my mind how God has taken what you know put most people absolutely hard-hearted and never want to talk about God again never want to be involved in anything having to do with church how God took that and still was able to use it to give hope to others. Now, some people, listening, some people listening, um, Athena, are going to say, this, this is the cliffhanger of all cliffhangers, <laughs> which should give folks a good reason to go out and get a copy of your book to hear the whole story. But in, in a minute or two that we have left, uh, walk me through that, that conclusion, that, that closing of the circle. After having gone through all of that, what eventually led you back to the Lord and got you rooted in sound teaching? and in in solid biblical doctrine for the first time in your life? Well, it was, I think the turning point was me asking the question, what was wrong with me? What did I do to open the door for the enemy to deceive me the way he did to the point where I believed a lie was the truth for 12 years and gave up everything for it? That was a good question to ask because then I could take ownership and see where I was vulnerable, and some of it was my own doing. And so to take, you know, I could have pointed the finger at him because what he did was evil, but I had to know, was there something I needed to take responsibility for and be willing to own? 
And from that point, my growth in him and my uh, just restoration in him was like leaps and bounds because I, I didn't just get bitter and, you know, blow, blow off God. I saw my part and I began to grow and I got counseling and I started going to a, an evangelical free church right here in town who, by the way, I'm now the pastor's wife because his wife of 49 years told me before she ever got sick, you know, I told Ross, if anything ever happens to me, he needs to marry you. <laughs> Which freaked me right out. Hadn't been on a date in 14 years when she said that to me. And uh, I went to Texas to take care of my mom. And while I was there, she uh, was diagnosed with cancer and died very quickly. Wrote a list, told Ross, you know, you need to get married. You've been married 49 years. You need someone to take care of you. And, you, and here's my list for you. And I was number one on the list. And it's like a modern-day Cinderella story. I mean, it really is. He is just the perfect, solid, not a controlling person, but strong in his faith. He's been in ministry 40 years, and he's well-respected in the city gates in this little town of Enumclaw and was one of the first pastors who got all the phone calls from all these distraught parents whose children were now in this cult. So talk about a full circle. That's yeah. a huge one. Well, it also demonstrates that God is not only a God of a great sense of humor, but a God of forgiveness and restoration. The book is called Full Circle, Coming Home to the Faithfulness of God by Athena Dean Holtz. And as we mentioned, newly published by Redemption Press. You can get it at uh, bookstores throughout the Bay Area, Amazon.com, and through Athena's website, Athena Dean Holtz, H-O-L-T-Z.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It is an alarming statistic and one that both regionally in the San Francisco Bay Area and nationally is growing by an alarming rate. Would you be shocked to discover that approximately one out of three women, about 35% of the U.S. female population at some time in their life has been the victim of domestic violence? Oftentimes, the violence takes forms beyond just simple verbal or physical altercations, sexual violence. Oftentimes, it spills into other areas of the family where even the children become victims. Women quite often are left with no other option but to run. But then in the running, the question becomes, where? Where do you go? Going to a friend's house, maybe a relative. Well, the abusive partner or husband knows where they live. They just simply follow and bring the abuse with them. What options are available for women who find themselves victims of domestic abuse and violence where they can go, find a place that can be loving, sheltering, give them an opportunity to get their life back on track again, all the while also welcoming their children? Joining me today in studio is the Executive Director of Shepherd's Gate Ministries, and Steve McCree, welcome to the program. Thank you. I guess the big answer to that question is, where do they go? What options do these women have? One answer is indeed Shepherd's Gate. Absolutely, Craig. Uh, we've seen over 10,000 women and kids come and live at Shepherd's Gate over the years. And uh, every one of them that has come through has has found a relationship pretty much with Jesus Christ. And that just totally transforms their lives. This ministry is a real grassroots ministry in every uh, sense of the term, isn't it? I mean, I, I think of the beginnings. This began as one woman with one house with one burden 
to help women that were facing crisis circumstances. And this has grown into a ministry now 25, 30 years later that, as you say, has impacted the lives of tens of thousands of women and their families. That's fairly remarkable. That's correct. It's it's totally been totally God and um, started a little three-bedroom house, 16 women in a very short-term program. We couldn't help them very long, and it's grown just in the past few years to two campuses. 90 women and children can live at a time. And the services, like there's 42 different classes we give them, all Bible-based. Their lives are literally transformed. When you see someone come in the door... Um, the beautiful thing to me is they can come in literally black and blue, uh, certainly hopeless in their eyes. Uh, the kids are dragging their, dragging their one little toy behind them or whatever. There's all their belongings with them. And they've escaped, and they are not don't know what they're escaping to. And sometimes they first walk in and see the beauty that God's provided there in the actual physical buildings. They just weep and realize how much God loves them. And how much the community, how many caring people there are. Because with no government support, it's all people in the community, and that's the way we uh, exist. You know, the irony is we, we hear of these statistics, 35% of women uh, at some time in their life will become victims of domestic violence of one sort or another. And, of course, we know on the, the severe end of that continuum are women that are dealing with circumstances where the husband is physically abusive, sexually abusive, maybe is dealing with a drug or alcohol problem that spills over into now abusing the children. Women oftentimes are fleeing these circumstances. No sense of what they're running to. They just know what they're running from and feel as if there's no one that cares, no one that can help them. They're afraid to go to the authorities because oftentimes the the husband or the boyfriend is saying, you know, if you tell anybody, I'll kill you or I'm going to kill somebody else in your family. So they're, they're, they're having to face a tremendous amount of uncertainty into which then as they finally make up the courage, find the, the, it within themselves to flee, oftentimes right at the skin of their teeth. There have been cases of women that have changed their mind at the last minute and wound up dead. Yes. But now as they've flown out of that circumstance, they've got no resources. The husband's shut down access to the checking account. There's no credit card. They might be full-time mothers that have no marketable skills where do you go? What relative do you call and say, by the way, not only do I need to get away from my abusive partner, but now I got a couple of young kids with me. And so in that sense, then, Shepherd's Gate has really become kind of a an oasis for these women, hasn't it? Absolutely. With the intensive programs and with the love of God, uh, again, they get everything they need to rebuild their lives for them and their kids. And then also uh, stops the cycle. Of abuse, and you're talking about the abuse that can happen. Shepherd's Gate really takes in women and kids that are homeless for any reason. Much of that is domestic violence. Uh, one form of abuse is abandonment. One gal came in with five kids because her husband had taken the bank account, everything they owned, and she's on the streets. And within two months, uh, her life was completely turned around. She didn't know Christ when she came in, neither did her children. One by one, they found the Lord, and their dis- their um, entire demeanor changed so much. She knew there must be a, really a God for their kids to change that much. She had a house and a job within three months of coming to us. So they're not only rescued from often very dangerous circumstances, they're given a sense of hope in some cases, hope for the very first time. You were mentioning to me, Steve, off the air of the story of one woman who had been involved in the Shepherd's Gate program for a while now, who literally, in in the middle of a, of a gathering, stopped and was crying and was expressing the fact that at that moment, 
she was experiencing genuine, unconditional love for the very first time in her life. And this is a woman in her 40s. Yes, she's about 45 years old and just began bawling during our, actually yesterday's Bible study. Wow. My wife and I were giving and she just said it's the first time I've ever had love, experienced love from anyone, much less to understand that God loves me. And she said, you know, it's the first time I've ever been happy in my life and it's the first time I've ever loved myself. Mm. There's something different about the approach that Shepherd's Gate takes. I mean, there are plenty of women's shelters. We know about them. You can go online and you can find a whole list of them in the San Francisco Bay Area. You can go to the Yellow Pages and find them. Finding a shelter is one thing. Finding home, finding family is something entirely different. As you look at the programs and services offered by Shepherd's Gate, distill down, if you would, Steve, for our listeners, what's the one single difference about Shepherd's Gate from any of the other secular programs that are out there? It is saturated with the love of God and the Word of God. And they learn that they um, have a creator who has a purpose for their life. Uh, our belief is that most of the women that come through our doors had a call in their life, a purpose to fulfill by God, and that the enemy tried to take them out. And when they learn that they were created for a purpose and have a purpose, then we wrap, as I said before, about 42 different types of classes and programs, anything from job interviewing to parenting skills to budgeting, in with all the biblical principles they learn and the relationships that they, they gain. It changes their life. Totally. It stops the cycle, as you mentioned. It stops the cycle totally. It gives them a brand new start. Four generations. Them- We've got one lady came in, and there's four generations in her family that were all touched by Shepherd's Gate. Wow. One young man was with us when he was five years old. He's now in his late 20s and was a pastor. And his brother was also with us when he was three years old. He and his wife now started a Christian camp up in the Sierras. So it's just beautiful to see generational change. And, and it demonstrates the power of the impact of changed lives through Jesus Christ. It also demonstrates this ongoing sense that as much as the beginning days with Alice Ann that were part of this grassroots burden to do something, that that sense of grassroots community involvement continues to this day. People come, they volunteer, they conduct Bible studies with the women, training classes. You have churches that come in and volunteer, individuals that donate and support the ministry financially and prayerfully and, and by other ways. So I guess in a real sense that the original family feeling that was so much of what Shepherd Gate was about in the beginning has continued on to this day. And that, with the component of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ, is really has been the, then the, the driving force of what's allowed this ministry to impact so many lives. We do try to keep it home. The buildings are structured to be, they're, they're very large houses, they're 11 bedrooms, but they are their homes. And so the women feel uh, security there. They don't feel like they're in an institution, uh, certainly not in a shelter. They feel like they're home. Even the kids, um, instead of being ashamed to say they're going to the shelter on Portola, they say, I live in that big mansion on Portola, and they're proud to tell the other kids at school that. So it, it's just the self-esteem is just goes out of the roof, both on the facilities and, and the home feel. And they stay, uh, the families stay connected with us long after they're gone. 
that come back and volunteers. We have many of them that we hire as employees, both at our thrift stores, and they also become um, house moms and work on the campus and help ladies that were in the same condition they were. So the impact is not only widespread, multi-generational, long-lasting. In fact, at the core, we could say the impact is eternal. Yes, it is. From a spiritual standpoint. If folks want to come by and visit... Uh, this kind of one of those things where you need to see it and experience. People say, gee, I'd love the sound of a ministry like that. And boy, I'd love to get involved. Our church would love to maybe come down and volunteer. We'd like to get behind the ministry financially. Uh, in a real sense, uh, seeing is believing, isn't it? Absolutely. And we love people to come visit. Uh, if they just call the office, 443-4283-443-GATE. Uh, make an appointment. We'll definitely have staff there to lead them. I'd love to lead them through, uh, meet the people. Uh, so we we love to have guests. And, of course, if you'd like to find out more about Shepherd's Gate, you can get details on the web by simply going to shepherdsgate.org. That's shepherdsgate.org. You have campuses both in Brentwood and in Livermore. That's correct. And so if somebody would say, hey, we, boy, this sounds like something we'd like to get behind and support, they can call, come out, visit one of the two campuses, both if they'd like, and, of course, uh, get a chance to discover more about this dynamic ministry that's been changing women's lives and impacting those for Christ right here in the Bay Area. Details, again, on the web at Shepherd's shepherdsgate.org. That's shepherdsgate.org. And our thanks to Steve McCreen, Executive Director of Shepherdsgate. Steve, thanks for dropping by. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.